0: We can't be contained because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24.
1: From The Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. all the time. Is, uh, That's both of us making yeah. the gritted teeth emoji face uh, at each yeah. other.
2: <laughs> uh, is it going to be okay? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I
1: don't know. What's happening? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Are we <gasps> fucked? I don't know. This is The Sound of Anxiety, courtesy of me and Ruth Spencer, deputy editor of The Cut. I think of myself as a pretty anxious person, and one of the reasons I love working with Ruth is that she makes me feel
2: comparatively chill and laid back. The feeling of, like, Things are gonna work out fine. You'll be okay. Has never that has never been in my body. I can check to see how anxious I am on a given day by putting my hand out in front of me. Ruth, you're sh- and it's shaking right now. It's always shaking, but it's there's degrees of the shake, and uh-huh. then there's degrees to which I can kind of see the shake. Because okay. when I'm really anxious, everything's a little blurry. So if I can't really see my hand, then I know it's like, oh no. <laughs> When was the last time that happened? Oh, all the time. Yeah. All the time. This week? Yeah.
1: On this week's episode, we're talking about anxiety. So we wanted to dive right in, really immerse
2: ourselves in anxiety, specifically Ruth's anxiety. I find I get really anxious when I need to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And that decision can be anything, like a big decision about a story to publish or what I should eat for dinner. It can be like, I should really go to the beach it's the summer. It's warm out. I live in New York. I need to take advantage of living in New York and the summer. I should be taking advantage of more things that are around me. I don't do enough. I'm inside all the time. All I do is work. And, like, what's the point of work if it's all I'm doing? And, like, you know, what is my life anyway? Oh, my God, I don't have a life. My work is the Internet. The Internet is meaningless. Like, I like. what am I – like, wait, I don't have any family in New York. Like, where is the meaning in my life? There's no meaning in my life. What is the point of this? Like, I don't know. I guess I just should, shouldn't, I shouldn't go to the beach, and I should instead just, like, sit here and try and figure out how I'm going to find meaning in my life so that I don't end up in the basement of my mom's house doing e-marketing.
1: In a moment like this, when you're in this frame of mind, it can feel like you're totally alone. You're trapped inside your own head with the certainty that you're the one who's ruining everything, and nobody else understands how bad it is. Except, lately, it seems like everyone has anxiety. Maybe not always a DSM-certified medical condition, but still, a lot of people are stocking up on CBD gummies and weighted blankets. So we asked some of our other coworkers to tell us what's going on in their heads.
2: Anxiety feels like you are in, like, a small room and the walls are slowly sliding closer and closer.
1: It's like somebody put their
2: hand inside my chest and put their big meaty man claw, like, around my esophagus. Either the body is moving faster than the brain is, or the brain is moving faster than the body. I'm stuck in molasses, and I can't get out of it.
0: My mind is going a million miles a minute.
2: This person probably thinks you're dumb. This person probably thinks you look terrible, or... Your breath probably stinks.
1: Nothing I do is interesting. Nothing
2: I do is important. Why is nothing in my life easy? Why does everything feel like it's a battle?
0: I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting other people's time. I'm not doing a good job. And no one's telling me what I'm doing right or wrong. And I don't know. I think I'm screwing
3: up. It's just like, you can't fix this.
1: This is where you live now inside a vibrating spiral of terrible thoughts that gradually starts to feel like home. Here's Ruth again.
2: I can find myself sometimes just looking at the wall in my apartment, staring at it, thinking about a decision I have to make, and not making any progress. And I sometimes I don't know how long I've been doing it for. Like, how long I'm, does it last? Like, ma- maybe it's like five minutes, and oh. then all of a sudden I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. And then I put my hand in front of myself, and I'm like, okay, we should get up. I'm like, we should go and do something. We should get out of the house. We, Ruth. <laughs> and my <laughs> <The> anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so my buddy. Yeah. We're just, yeah. It's like those animals where like one is just stuck on the other one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you have like a symbiotic relationship with your anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like a parasite. Or it's a parasite. Just-
2: yeah.
1: I'm picturing you as like a crocodile with like a little bird (laughs) on your head. If anxiety is the bird that's perched on your head, you can start to feel like maybe you need it. You're swimming along and probably it's doing some good work up there. And anyway, you don't know how to get rid of it. So you figure you'll just be stuck with it forever. As it was in the beginning and is now and ever shall be. Anxiety without end. Amen. Sarah Wilson is someone who took this way of thinking to its logical extreme.
4: It felt like I was running down a hill and I was going faster than my legs could actually spin. Sarah's
1: a journalist and best-selling author, and her book First We Make the Beast Beautiful is all about anxiety. She writes about the period in her life when she'd just gotten a dream job. At 29, she became the editor of Australian Cosmo.
4: But to do the job, she felt like she had to keep moving nonstop. And the more I started to spiral, the more I felt I needed to fix it by doing more hours in the office. And Uh in the end I was working all my weekends. Um, And then you get into this mindset as an A-type where you feel that, well, the other parts of my life, I'm going to have to be very rigid about those. So I was running to work. I was doing 24-hour mountain bike races. I was sleeping four, five hours a night, um, drinking a bottle of wine at night, having two coffees in the morning. Um, But I was clutching. It was like I was just trying to clutch and grip and hold on and hold on. And I figured if I could do more work, then I might be able to fix the situation. You will be shocked to learn that Sarah could not keep this up forever. It played out on my body. So in my mind, I was addicted to this cycle um, and thinking that that was the only way I was going to be able to get on top of things, you mm-hmm. know. But my body basically said, you're not going to stop, so we're going to stop you in your tracks. And I had developed the perfect disease for someone like me, and it was a thyroid disease. And it's an autoimmune disease, and essentially it went through my body organ by organ. And what did the physical symptoms you were dealing with look like? Like, what did what were you physically going through? My nails fell out. My hair fell out. I lost the outer third of my eyebrows. Mm. I uh, My digestion completely um, went whack. So I couldn't go to the toilet. At first I lost a lot of weight, like a frightening amount of weight. And then eventually when I finally stopped and my adrenals stopped going into overdrive, um, I then put it on a dramatic amount of weight. My hair, my face, in my skin, my nails, everything had, had disintegrated. Sarah remembers
1: feeling calm as she typed up her letter of resignation from the job that had become her life. At that point, she didn't have any choice. The worst-case scenario she dreaded in the depths of her anxiety
4: had come true. Certainly, my sense of worth was totally tied up in what I looked like, how healthy and strong I was, and my job and I was stripped of all three. I'd always feared, and I think every anxious person does, if I let go of my anxiety and my high-octane way of going about things, gosh, everything will fall apart, right? I can't do that. Um, And I remember feeling that way, that I couldn't just chill out and take a day off. Everything will fall apart. Like, I had gripped onto that. And then, of course, You know, everything got lost. I fell apart. I had to let go of all of that. And here I was still myself. I was still here. She was still here, but so was her anxiety. So she started
1: trying to understand it better. She actually made a job of it for a while. She traveled around reporting on different
4: treatments and writing about what she learned. I've tried all types of therapy. I've tried sand play. I've tried NLP. I've been known to do headstands at night before I go to sleep. Um, I have done trips to India, to Ayurvedic clinics, where I wasn't able to shower for six weeks and I was fed ghee. I went and found the guru that uh, Elizabeth Gilbert goes and sees (laughs) in in Indonesia. You know, I have interviewed the Dalai Lama. I've done some truly, truly ridiculous things. I've swum with sharks. I've meditated with Richard Branson. I've hitchhiked around to try to plunge myself into fear. Um, I went around the world for seven years and tried to find what everybody's secret was. After all that reporting, Sarah found that what helped her
1: the most were the boring things. Stuff like getting enough sleep, working less, and meditating. But even those things didn't get rid of her anxiety. Eventually, she realized it was something she was going to have to find a way to live with.
4: It's a bit like carrying a shallow bowl of water around for the rest of your life. Um, you've got to keep steady. So, there's a responsibility that I've come to realize. And as an A-type, oh gosh, I love it. I love being given a responsibility. So I give myself the responsibility of making sure I stay steady so that it doesn't get out of control. Ruth, you remember, sometimes thinks of her anxiety like a little buddy. Sarah takes it even further. You know, it's the most constant relationship I've had all my life, you know? Um, And it is, it's like a little friend. Um, And there are techniques that actually help me modulate when I'm in a bad, anxious space. Like, I write a letter to it. What do you say? What do you say when you write a letter to your anxiety? I write, I just, and I'll do it in bars around the world. I've been, you know, in a cocktail bar and I've had to get a a, a napkin and a pen from the the bar person and and I've written it out. And I'll say, hey, it's, it's all cool. We're both here together. You know what? You and me, we're going through this. We know what happens. We know you get kind of worked up. We're now going to calm things down, right? We're just going to write this out. We're going to describe it, and you're going to get your say. And and you know what? In that process, it takes only a couple of minutes for everything to settle down. It was striking
1: as we started talking to people how many of them saw their anxiety as a kind of
5: companion, someone well-intended but misguided and overzealous. It is your brain trying to be helpful because I mm-hmm. think it's scanning for perceived danger, It's like someone you hired to look out for any danger or something, and they're just, like, really overexcited and want to do a good job. So it starts picking out things where you're like, I didn't even think that was a problem until you made me think of it 15 times. So now I guess it is a problem. This
1: is Aparna Nancherla. She's a comedian, and some of the material she's become best known for deals with anxiety. But when she first started talking about mental health on stage— Was because it was the only thing on her mind. She was depressed and stuck in a creative rut when finally she decided to write about it.
5: I have a lot of anxiety. Um, it is it's a pretty solid part of my life. Like and and how many any stress heads in the house tonight? Yeah. I talked about that on stage. Didn't really expect that much of a receptive audience because it was kind of a bummer to talk about. But then I think it resonated in a way I wasn't expecting, and then that led me to kind of delve further into, like, my own struggles with mental health. And, like, if you don't have anxiety, the way I would describe it is, like, there's an edgy improv group in your brain. (laughs) And it just needs, like, a one-word suggestion. (laughs) To spin like countless scenarios that no one's comfortable with. <laughs> like the whole time you're just like, when will this show be over? I just came to be supportive. Shortly after that happened, the election happened. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the that election. The, the <laughs> election. The yes. yeah. yeah, exactly. And then it became almost more part of the zeitgeist where well, you totally. could talk about it as a more general way of being rather than just this thing some people go through. It is weird that anxiety is finally on message, like if you're an anxious person, it's kind of like, well, you know, this is what we trained for, this is, this is our Olympics. It's like all those nights awake, like it's showtime, you know, all the scenarios at once.
1: All the scenarios at once, abortion bans, climate apocalypse, Nazis marching in the streets. It was like anxiety had been right all along. In some ways. That perverse validation makes it hard to tell what's an anxiety disorder and what's a perfectly reasonable concern.
5: And it's even harder when the news is coming at you like a fire hose every time you pick up your phone. I think it comes from that original idea we have where it's like the more information you have, the more empowered you are. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's oversaturated to the degree where it's no longer helpful or healthy. Aparna's figured out ways to manage life
1: with anxiety brain in anxiety world. She's got her time on Twitter down to 15 minutes a day. She exercises, and she's also found that meditation helps. If you could, would you want to, like, snap your fingers and get rid of anxiety, or do you feel like it's something that's part of who you are to an extent that you wouldn't want to at this point?
5: I think it's—I'm used to it in a, in the sense that I've just existed with it for so long, but I think if I could get rid of it, I would, even though there would probably be a period of strangely missing it or, you know, being like, oh, it wasn't so bad. What would you miss about it? Um, I think just the that sense of urgency mm-hmm. where you it feels like everything is important all the time. Yeah. And I think that can strangely create meaning, maybe in a kind of dysfunctional way, but... Uh, But without it, you kind of have to find those things for yourself. And I think that can be a lot harder. So there you have it. You just need to find the
1: meaning of life. Or at least a meaning for your life. Coming up after the break, a woman with an idea for how to go about doing that.
0: Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close. But you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nine West.
6: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Welcome back. This is, unfortunately, not the part of the episode where I reveal that there's a way to snap your fingers and make anxiety disappear. But there are strategies to make it more manageable. And I promise I'm not just going to say meditation. Although, have you tried meditation?
2: Anyway, here's Ruth again. I was just in bed and I was just not sleeping, but I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. And so I started Googling, like, games for anxiety. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I'd read about it somewhere. And this list came up with this game called Two Dots. And all you do is join two dots together. Yeah. You're in a little world on a path. That's like a level...
1: It says level 76. You're very advanced at two dots.
2: <laughs> You've
1: gotten really Listen, good at the
2: anxiety I'm game. i just, I, yeah, Now I have to be really good at it. Yeah. Um, so, like, okay. Okay. A whole bunch of little dots come onto your screen. It's a nice color scheme. And your job is to just link the dots together. Uh-huh. And it just, it gives my brain permission to sort of relax
1: Of course, Two Dots is not a replacement for therapy or medication. But say it's a Sunday at 4 p.m. and it feels like someone's reached inside your rib cage and started to squeeze. How do you self-soothe?
6: This is a little embarrassing, but I tend to physically just go to the container
3: store. I can't really explain it, but there's something about seeing something where everything has a place and there's organization for things you've never thought of. I feel like when I walk in there, I have somewhat of a spiritual
6: experience and end up blacking out and coming out with things like battery organizers. I make chicken soup. Peeling carrots really does it for me. I like to consume a lot of caffeine when I am really anxious, which a lot of times makes me more anxious, but I feel like that justifies the anxiety and like, oh, this isn't a mental disorder. This is just, I just had too much caffeine. It's fine. So I'm a first-time mom. I have a nine-month-old daughter. And <laughs> um, when I am anxious about myself, I do something for her. Like, oh, I have so much longer to do, but I'll do hers first and I will organize her stuff, if she's set. That means I can also take care of myself. The way I feel too is by watching um, pimple popping videos, but they have to be ones like from a doctor's office with good lighting. I don't really like the sketchy home ones, so like Dr. Pimple Popper. I don't know if it's like the... Pempt-up anxiety is similar to, like, a pimple, and then the release when you pop it is, like, it going away. I'm not sure. I guess I'm too anxious to talk about it right now. Um, Okay, I'll go back.
1: How did we get to the point where so many people feel so bad so often? It's enough to make you think there's something larger going on here. Like, maybe we don't all need to just meditate harder so we can be better at our jobs. Maybe we need to rethink the way we live our lives. Recently, a book came out that asked readers to give that a shot. It's called "How to Do Nothing." And it's by Jenny O'dell.
3: I think that for me personally, like a lot of anxiety comes out of feeling like there's a very specific thing that I need to be doing. and And all of me is kind of geared towards that without any room for anything else, like surprise or interruption or anything like that. Jenny's an artist and writer. and she also teaches at Stanford right in the heart of America's anxiety R&D department,
1: the birthplace of push notifications and Instagram FOMO and 24-hour email availability, Silicon Valley. She's teaching art for mostly non-art majors. A lot of them are kids who are eventually going to go work in tech. And the assignments in her class include things like go outside for 15 minutes and do nothing.
3: Like if you're at Stanford, you probably have been, you know, successful in high school and you've jumped through all the hoops in the right way and, and you're holding on to this thing like really tight and you don't need to be. But you you got there thinking that and then you have someone saying like, actually, just totally let go. But you think you're going to die if yeah. you let go. Yeah, 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 yeah. But some of them do. and And then they, you know, they realize they're fine. Jenny feels like she's got this one last chance to show her students another way of being in the world. Just giving them any way to think about things other than optimization, (laughs) you know, where Mm -hmm. it's like, you're staring at your calendar and you're trying to figure out like how to fit things in here, like, um, or just like looking at your to-do list or like looking at your inbox and just feeling like really overwhelmed and, and almost like turning into this like algorithm that's trying to figure out how you could get all of it done. And I just, I worry so much that they'll wake up one day when they're like 35 and like, you're waking up from a dream Mm -hmm. and just feel like, I was on the roller coaster, but like, did I ever look to the side? Jenny's gotten pretty good at looking to the side. Her work examines ignored corners of
1: the everyday world, both online and off. For a while, she was artist-in-residence at the San Francisco dump.
3: To find the things that interest her, she has to pay attention to the place where she lives. I think I just allow myself to get distracted by something that I am really, really curious about. Uh, which a lot of the time is birds. <laughs> like, you can't really birdwatch in any intentional way, right? Like, these are birds will show up or they won't, and you don't even know which ones. You're just bird-seeing. Yeah, and I see something, and then I'm just, like, totally derailed from, like, whatever I was trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> How did you first start getting distracted by birds? Um. Okay, so it pretty much all started with this book called The Genius of Birds by Jennifer Ackerman. She learned that crows can recognize human
1: faces and teach their children which people are friendly. And then she started paying more attention to her neighbors.
3: The, the OG crows were crow and crowson because it was a crow that showed up with its kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the background image of my phone. Mm. Uh, it's my equivalent of baby photos. It's like, <laughs> do you want to look at my crows? <laughs> do um, people? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, they do. Yeah. <laughs> She's known them for about three years now. They know me well enough that they, like, stop me on the street. Wow. Sometimes Have I'm you- like... Recognize them as opposed to other crows. Um, I can't visually recognize them. Like, I wouldn't be able to, like, pick them out of, like, a crow lineup. But if I'm walking, you know, within a block of my apartment... And a crow, like, comes out of nowhere, like, out of the sky and lands right next to my head and stares at me. I'm, like, pretty sure that that yeah. is one of them. Um, you must feel like a witch or a sorcerer. I like. totally do. Yeah, because then they'll just follow me down the street. Like, they'll just keep landing near me um, all the way to my car. So, um, <laughs> Do yeah. you have pets or do you mostly have the crows as your primary animal relationship at home? I think I'm their pet. Uh-huh. because they it's like whatever I could say that like I trained them to come by with peanuts but actually they trained me to, to put peanuts, peanuts on the balcony <laughs> yeah I think they know that yeah. um, and I've been trying to learn like crow language lately I'm just paying a lot of attention to like what different sounds they make in different situations and so far I have learned um, the like hey get over here sound um, so there's that one there's the hey there's that cat that we all hate <laughs> Um, it's this very angry sound. Uh-huh. I mean, and I, I was just reading the other day in the living room and I heard it. And I, in my mind, I was already like, cat. There's a cat outside. <laughs> and I went out and there, there and was indeed. the cat. Yeah. Wow. And then there's the annoyed, I'm here, but you haven't noticed me yet sound. You're like, what the fuck? Crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. oftentimes it's when I'm looking at my phone. Mm. So if I'm like in, in on the balcony, near the balcony, and one of them has shown up and I haven't seen it yet. It's like this short, like, it sounds like a human being like, hey. Yeah, you know, they're like, get with yeah. the program, Jenny. Yeah. We're here. <laughs> yeah, hang out with us. Yeah. We're your crow friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think, I mean, they're intelligent enough to know that, like, I they don't know what the phone is, but they know I'm paying attention to it. Like, and they know the that them. they yeah. can see that I that I am paying so much attention to it that I haven't noticed them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they're calling you back to the real world. Yeah. So thanks, crows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For Jenny, the crows are more than
1: just fun companions, although they are that. She writes in her book that the crows help her see herself as a human animal, another creature inhabiting the same landscape. They remind her that she's part of something larger than herself, an ecosystem, a planet. When anxiety strikes, its first move is to convince you you're all alone. The first counter move is to remember that you aren't. Near the end of my anxiety chat
2: with Ruth, she reminded me of a good idea she had a while back. My friend and I used to say that we wish there was An anxiety bar where, like, we could go and everyone there would be very anxious. I went looking for the first
1: time Ruth told me about the anxiety bar. It was kind of hard because when I search anxiety in my Slack records, I turn up 37 pages of results. But I finally found it. The concept is very simple. It's a bar for people who are internally freaking out. A safe space for stress heads and extremists. It's a place that allows you to get out of your apartment and stop staring at your own wall. I picture it as an endearingly shitty dive, someplace that smells like floor cleaner and Narragansett. Most crucially, the Anxiety Bar is a place that requires no excuses or explanations.
2: I find when I'm anxious and I have to have a social interaction, it's very bad. hard, very hard, very bad. Yeah. So at the Anxiety Bar, you just show up and you're like, hey.
1: At the Anxiety Bar, everyone already understands. Ruth's drinking a double gin and tonic and playing two dots. Sarah Wilson's writing a letter on a napkin. A couple of crows are tapping on the window. Bring them some peanuts if you get a chance. While you're outside, take a minute to look at a tree. And remember that you're just one of the many regulars here, a crew who have all found someplace comfortable to ride out the storm. That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday. And... We're working on another episode where we need your help. If you've had a baby, we want you to give us a call and tell us what is the most surprising thing that happened to your body while you were pregnant? Call us, leave a message at 920-368-3341. 920-368-3341. The Cut on Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McVie, Olivia Nat, and Peter Bresnan. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Lynn Levy and Stella Bugby. Mixing is by Peter Leonard. Our music is by Haley Shaw, Emma Munger, and Peter Leonard. Our theme song is Play It Right by Sylvan Esso. Special thanks to Allison P. Davis, Naomi Ekparrigan, Jesse David Fox, Simone Kitchens, Katie Schneider, and Erica Schwiegershausen. Also, if you were a fan of this show, I strongly suspect you will also be a fan of Read Like the Wind. It's a monthly email of book recommendations and more from the writer Molly Young. She's a top-notch person to get emails from. Subscribe. You will not regret it. You can do that at vulture.com slash read like the wind. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut.
0: Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West.